Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Robert Thomas, Senior Director for the U.S. Business of Arcteryx, talks about how to be the best possible product line manager and the importance of the role, being the hub of the wheel of the product development process. Chase asked me here to kind of um, to uh, frame up how, how one might stand out as a great PLM or a damn good PLM in my words. And I, uh, I spent some time in that role. It's one of the, the, my favorite jobs I've ever had. I still fantasize about going back to being a PLM sometimes, and I might in my future do that. Um, my understanding from, from Chase is you all have a pretty good understanding of what a PLM does. So I'll just jump into it. And um, I'm hoping to keep this to 20 minutes and then we can spend some time talking. And, and um, I, I prefer that very much so. So let me advance the slide. All right. So who am I? Um, I'm Robert Thomas. I operate Arcteryx's U.S. retail stores and our wholesale business. I'm a middle-aged family dude. I'm originally from Maine, lived in Colorado for most of my adult life, and I've been in Utah for three years. You can see my wife, Emily, and our nine-month-old daughter, Franny, there in uh, the bottom of Taylor Canyon in Ogden. I'm a skier. I'm a mountain biker, a trail runner. I love camping. I love video games, but I suck at them, and I don't get to play them too often, but uh, that's kind of what I'm into outside of work. I'm an engineer who did not like engineering. Um, I went to engineering school, thought uh, my skills really lent themselves to being an engineer and kind of learned halfway through that I did not like engineering, um, but I had bills to pay, including a hefty amount of student loans. So I went into engineering as my first job. But in my life, I've been a pizza maker, a fish tank cleaner, a bike builder, a retail employee, a deep water rope engineer, a bike cable designer and marker, uh, an apparel sales rep, a PLM, eventually senior PLM, and commercial manager before coming into the role I'm in now. And as I thought about this presentation and, and what I wanted to share with you all, um, you understand what a PLM role is, I think, technically, again, my understanding. So I'll touch on that just so we're all grounded and talking about the role the way I understand it. Um, if there are parallels or, or places we need to jump off, we can clarify. But when I started thinking about this, I assumed that most of you are, are entering your career or have maybe done a few years in your career, but then gone back to school. And maybe some of you have been... Um, been in the workforce and then gone back to school for this. And I think those of you who are in the latter might, might reflect and, and see some similarities in what I'm saying. When I thought back to when I was in your position, leaving school and entering the workforce, what were the things that I would have wanted to know then that I know now? 
And um, I realize this puts me officially into the middle age category. Um, I, it's weird. I still feel like I'm 25. So uh, I hope this isn't too like old man telling you how it is, but let's see how it goes. So PLM, what are the principles? I mean, I think the way I always talk about it is it's the five P's, right? It's getting the right product to the right place at the right price, the right time um, with the right promotional cadence so that the people that are going to spend money on it are willing to do so. Um, so merchandising by another name, product line management, sometimes it's a little bit more logistical, sometimes a little bit more salesy. But at the end of the day, a PLM is accountable for getting this $749 Rush jacket, the pinnacle of Arcteryx's Gore-Tex ski jackets, um, to market at the right time, in the right places, and pricing it so that the price value proposition and the marketing that tells that story to the consumer all makes sense and ends up on the backs of some skier bros hiking up Logan Canyon. So, you know, to, to make that happen, a lot of different nuts and bolts have to fall into place. Um, there's a ton of logistics. You're managing a ton of logistical kind of BS. Um, some of it fun, some of it not. But this is just a list of either software or acronyms or um, platforms that you that I've had to use in my life as a product line manager. Um, it's a bit of alphabet soup. It's a lot of cross um, cross pollinated software use and um, just a lot of logistical nuts and bolts to make sure that everything's buttoned up so that you've got your price, your product, your price value proposition. It gets to market, but then this is all the backend stuff that makes sure it happens. But the other thing I think about when I think about a PLM job is um, kind of, you know, it's, I, I could only find a five-legged stool on the internet. So I, that's what you're seeing. I kind of thought of six categories here, but um, there might be seven or eight, depending on the organization. And, and really for any org or any company that's bringing a product to market, there's the business, which is the transactional nature of selling stuff. And then there's all the departments that have to come together to make that happen. Not shown here are, you know, um, HR and, and maybe some of the supporting functions, but really like these are the, the departments that have to make sure that everything happens so the product comes to market. So you've got the design and development team. They're coming up with the product that, um, that we want to sell. They're figuring out how to build it. They're trying to make it cool and make sure it has all of the unique attributes that a, a customer is willing to pay for. I know there's a ton of designers and developers on this call. I actually think that some of you might like being a PLM um, more than you, you want to be a designer or a developer. That was my experience as an engineer. I thought I wanted to create stuff. And what I realized, I really like marketing and selling stuff and bringing it to market. Um, so I think it starts with the designers and developers. Then um, the demand planners have to make sure that um, we know how much to build. The supply chain team then builds it. The allocations team determines where we can send it to sell it, um, hopefully for the most profit, but to make sure that we're keeping all of our consumers in the market happy. Marketing is telling the story about the product and, and the larger brand that it's a part of. And the sales and commercial team is making sure it's, it's sold and um, sold at the best price possible at the best time possible. All that comes together and the business operates. The PLM has a super unique role in this. And, and to me, the PLM is the ring of the stool that ties it all together. Some people will describe it as the hub of the wheel and the spokes are all of these different departments. But if the PLM is doing their job, they're making sure that all this stuff comes together and that the product has the right price, the right uh, feature attributes, the consumer is going to be interested in it. The marketing team knows the stories to tell. And, you know, it's a lot of cat herding, um, to be honest, but it's cat herding with a clear vision of success. And I think when you think about when at the end of the day, when I think about a PLM role, what it is to me is it's 
the ultimate logistical guru, right? All of this has to be managed. And it's the ultimate kind of leader and or influencer who brings everybody together to make sure it happens. It is a lot. The thing I loved about the job is it's got a ton of variety um, and you have to kind of know how to do a little bit of everything, um, but it is a lot to manage and a lot of balls to juggle. And, you know, long and short of it is what, what advice would I give you if you were considering being a PLM? Just, just don't, don't. Um, gonna pause for reaction. I'm kidding. It, like I said, it was one of my favorite jobs. And um, so, so you still wanna be a PLM after everything I've told you. Um, I'm actually gonna ignore most of the nuts and bolts because I'm gonna trust that most of you know that. And upon reflection, the thing that I think made me a, a pretty good PLM and the thing I, I see in other really good PLMs is a really powerful tool called influential leadership. As I reflected on my career path, that job specifically as a part of it, um, I really think that influential leadership is the single most important thing that anybody in any role can bring to the, to the workforce and can develop throughout their career. And so I thought this actually, as I started to think about it, it was probably something I, I didn't know existed in school and learned um, in the first years of my career and, and through, through really good mentorship that this is probably one of the most powerful tools in your toolkit in the workforce. And I think of influential leadership as kind of a four, you know, a four-part process, but it's kind of not really a process. It's just an ongoing sort of framework to think about. And it's really, it's four things. So it's first, you need to be the expert. Ain't nobody else going to do the work but you. You have to be the expert in whatever it is you're trying to influence around. Again, for a PLM, you're influencing everybody. You're the, the ring of the stool keeping those legs connected. And you might have to convince the sales team to sell something that the supply team made, supply team made too much of. You might have to convince the designer that they got to get rid of some pockets on this jacket because it's going to be too expensive if we don't um, if we don't cut that back. But to do that, you have to be the expert. You have to know exactly what is required and you have to do the work. That also requires a ton of listening and a ton of cross-functional understanding. Next, to become a really powerful influential leader, I think one has to have a really strong sense of self-leadership. You have to really know who you are, give yourself an honest assessment of where you're at and where you want to be. And you just have to see how you're effective. Like what, what strengths do you bring to the table? How are you effective in, in everything you do? Next, you want to start to become influential. Influential. You're building relationships. You know your superpowers. You're really good at managing up your bosses, down your reports, if you have any, and across. Might be on your team, might be cross-functionally. And finally, you, you learn that power isn't in hierarchy. Power is an impact. And when you realize that, you can lead from any seat, whether you have zero reports or whether you're the CEO of the company, power is in the impact that you have in the organization. And it becomes this sort of, this really could have been a ring where the more success you have, the more powerful you become as an influential leader. Um, but it requires a lot of self-work too, being the expert in self-leadership, being the foundation that this all builds off of. If you do this really well, you're not only building the technical skills to be a, a great PLM, or like I said, any other role, you're generating a ton of soft skills for yourself. So empathy, you're building your reputation, enhanced technical skills for your job. You're more likable because people just see you as someone who can get stuff done and um, you're a partner in the business. You build a lot of trust and you develop a sense of executive presence, knowing exactly what your audience needs to hear at any given time. Um, obviously, you need to know who your audience is. If you can be jokey, if you need to be succinct, if you need to be long-winded, if you need to be detailed or high level, um, knowing how to be in a room, depending on your audience, is, is a soft skill that really kind of all this stuff comes together and you're able to sort of influence and just tell the room what they need to hear to, to move your agenda forward. 
And your agenda can be the team's agenda, right? You can be an advocate for a larger, something larger than yourself. All right, I'm 15 minutes in, or I guess 10 minutes in, so I'm, I'm on track. So to kind of break those into four parts, I first, I wanted to talk about becoming the expert. And um, if this were live, I'd look for hands and I'm not going to do it because it's going to be painfully awkward for me to, to um, figure this out in Zoom. But does anybody know who this is? Chase raises his hand. That's Rachel Carson. And does anybody know who Rachel Carson is? Okay, Keegan, I see you raising your hand. Keegan, you're telling me that Rachel Carson is uh, the woman, she was an author and a scientist who discovered that DDT, uh, the pesticide, was really decimating the environment and probably hurt harming humans in a disproportionate manner as well. She wrote a book called Silent Spring. That book blew the world's eyes open to the dangers of DDT and, and in short order, the world changed and we stopped using that pesticide. She really, truly uh, cha changed the world. Rachel Carson, in her early years, she was a, um, a mostly single woman who was really driven by work and she was into science and writing. And in her early years as, as a writer and scientist, she struggled because she was taking care of her aunt and her, her niece suffered from health problems. And so she was a primary caretaker, despite not necessarily having her, her own nuclear family. And it frustrated her. It slowed her down at work. It slowed down her research, it slowed down her writing. And at times, I think she felt deeply like giving up. And um, I, I know a lot about Rachel Carson because I read a book called Forged in Crisis by Nancy Cohn. It's a great book, um, a little dry at times, but it talks about leaders who kind of um, were in a state of crisis and that's how they kind of became who they were. And, and Nancy in this book says, during this time, uh, Rachel Carson, during this time she was doing her work, taking care of her family, she was leaning into her gathering years and she calls them the gathering years. And upon reflection, later in life, Rachel Carson had this great success um, in her kind of later middle age. She, in, in reflection, realized that she was gaining all this resilience and skill sets and all these soft skills that made her successful in life. And I think the argument that Nancy makes in this book is that she would not have been successful if she hadn't leaned into her gathering years and really built this strong foundation of who she was, um, the technical skills that she had built, um, and all that came together later in life. And Silent Spring, you know, again, changed the world. And my, one of my mentors always says this a different way. The work comes before the reward. And if you just keep that mindset and, and become the expert by doing the work, you're going to be successful. As a PLM, that's logistical fundamentals, it's cross-functional experience, it's getting to know your consumer, the competition, the value proposition, um, and, and a little bit more I'll talk about later. Self-leadership. Okay, I've got a diagram here of, of sailing. And does anybody know, again, Henry's, um, I see Chad Smith. I'm guessing that's two names, but I'm going to call you Chad Smith from now on. Chad Smith raises his hand and he says, yeah, sailing, that, that's tacking. That's um, a method of using the wind when it's coming at you to get from a point that is upwind from you. And I think if you're a sailor, you know that to tack successfully, you're navigating currents, islands, you're navigating, uh, you know, where I come from in Maine, lobster pots. Um, you're trying to get to a point, but you might not be able to take a direct line to get there. But you always have your eye on that point and you're working with the things around you to kind of tack back and forth and making use of the wind to get from point A to point B. Carol Lewis says this differently in Alice in Wonderland, and it's the Cheshire cat saying to, to Alice, more or less, if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what path you take. And I think a key, a key um, component of, of being a self-leader is really understanding where you're trying to go, but being really flexible in how you get there and being curious about the world and, and using what's at, at hand to get from point A to point B. 
And I think if you know there are multiple, these are things I have learned to be true. You or one might have a different experience, but I have the confidence there are multiple paths to get anywhere. And I can be in choice about which path I'm going to take. As long as I act with intention, I have an honest and ongoing self-assessment of who I am. I'm going to get there. Along the way, the way that you can be really successful doing this is first asking yourself, who are my people? Who are my mentors, my coaches? Who are the people that can really help you understand who you are? Um, They can coach you. They can mentor you. They can help you down the path. Again, one of multiple paths. And I think the other thing I've learned in self-leadership is the more you can align that personal goal you have with your company or your team or your mission's needs, the more you align your goals with their needs, the faster it all goes. Okay, so I'm through two. The third one, becoming influential. Um, this is a, a word gram from a, a book and framework for discovering people's strengths called Strengths Finders. Um, it's a little bit cheesy in corporate, but when you send, when you spent nearly two decades decades in the, the corporate world, you kind of learn to love some of this stuff. And Strength Finders is all about really understanding what your your strengths are. And there's like 32 paradigms you can be um, measured against, and you learn your top five. And the idea is you really lean into your superpowers. You're going to have more effect in the world if you can do the things you already do well, rather than wasting too much time trying to improve the things that you're worst at. Not that you shouldn't look for self-improvement, but if you maximize the things that you have inherently, you're going to be more successful. And I think once you've, um, you've become the expert and once you've done the work on self-leadership, you can start leaning into to being influ- be, becoming influential. And that is really a chance to lean into your superpowers. Um, if you're responsible, you're going to get things done on time as an expert and as a self-leader. If you're an achiever, you're always going to be the first one finished with maximum success. If you're a relator, you're going to be, bring people closer to you as you do it. You're going to have your own superpowers that you have to really understand. And as you start to become the expert and do the work, if you lean into your superpowers, it just has an outsized amount of influence. People really just want to be with you in the work. Um, That allows you to build relationships. It allows you to understand your partners. And most importantly, you operate with empathy. You find the people who might be um, a harmony, someone who cares about harmony and connectedness to your responsibility and achievement. Um, You understand that. You operate with empathy to who they are. And you you form these really complementary teams. And I said this on kind of my opening slide for this framework, but you manage in every direction. Um, you You understand that being the boss is an act of service but being an expert can come from anywhere. Um, being an expert can come from anywhere. And if you know your stuff, if you've done the work and you know who you are and you know what you can bring to the table and lean into your superpowers, you can tell the CEO of the company what, what needs to happen. And again, I'll tie this back to being a, a great PLM later. But I think if you think back to that ring of the stool, you have to manage in every direction. To do that successfully, you have to be influential. To be influential, you have to know yourself and you have to have done the work. So hopefully this is making sense. It's all building. All right. Last but not least, anybody know who these gentlemen are? Anybody? Chase, I know this is your favorite. Yes, it's Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn. You might be wondering why I'm bringing them up here. Um, And I think these guys come to mind because in this movie, what you see is um, you see Lloyd Christmas in every measure, the peer to Harry Dunn. We're not sure who's dumb and who's dumber. They're peers. Uh, they live in a, a crappy apartment in Rhode Island and, and kind of lose their jobs constantly. Neither one's really a leader, you might think. But Lloyd Christmas has this opportunity to return a lost suitcase to a, to a former client of his. 
And in this, he, he identifies an act of service and he gains buy-in from his friend Lloyd, I mean, I'm sorry, Harry, and convinces him to go on this adventure to bring the suitcase back to his rightful owner. And in that moment, I would argue that Lloyd is a in, influential leader and he's coming from this place um, that I think really defines leadership. And to me, leadership is an act of service. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about being the boss. It's an act of service. Leadership is, and, and so in this, in this case, right, Lloyd is in service to Mary Swanson, a.k.a. Samsonite, to bring the suitcase back. Um, leadership is, an, is the act of gaining followership. He gains Harry's uh, commitment to help him on this journey. And as I think we, we learned in Dumb and Dumber, leadership is a deeply human experience. Um, it is fundamental to, to succeeding in the world or just being a part of society. All of us have led. All of us have been led. Um, you might not even have realized it. And I think if you always um, take the approach that, that leadership is an act of service, the act of trying to gain followership, and you respect it as a deeply human experience, and the people you're working with have things going on outside of work, they might have complementary skills to yours. If you, if you come from that perspective with the mission and company as the leading, um, the leading purpose, and you put the team's needs next and the individual's needs, including your own last, you're going to be a successful leader, again, in any capacity. I hope this is making sense. I, I will ask, I'll leave you some time for questions. Um, you can tell me if it did. So what? So what? You know, you came here hearing me talk about PLMs. I'm talking about old man, like, you know, telling you how it is in the world kind of stuff. I hope it's resonating and it's not too dry. Um, so what? You know, if you want to be a great PLM, if you want to be a great anything, in my opinion, it's, it's here's the so what. First, you've heard me say it 16 times, do the work. You know, it's on you to gain the actual functional skills in every job you take. And I would, I would recommend it's worth keeping a, an actual inventory of those skills. Keep it on paper, like literally write down. It could be your resume. It could be like, what are the inventory of skills that you have learned over your career? A PLM is typically not a straight out of school job. It's a job that you have to come to, but because it's the ring tying all of the, the legs of the stool together, you can bring a different inventory of skills into the job and be really successful, but you have to do the work. Second, you have to be a partner, be a partner to everyone around you. You have to assume goodwill first, assume goodwill, um, don't accuse and stay curious. You know, if someone's having a hard time or you don't agree with somebody, I, I think digging into your own position is more dangerous than staying curious and assuming goodwill and saying, let me understand more about where you're coming from. Um, you know, I think the most powerful words in leadership, and again, to me, the PLM is the ultimate leader, um, are follow me. Let's do this together. And if you fill the gaps you see around you, if you're a partner, assume goodwill and you stay curious. Um, it's really important. The next one is, is kind of related to that sailboat tacking from point to point to get from where they are at to where they want to be. It's to practice existential flexibility. You might have such a like determination to be a PLM or a great designer, um, but you might also have great opportunities around you that aren't exactly those things. Um, and I think if you practice some existential flexibility with your end goal in mind and the purpose, your personal purpose of where you're trying to be, um, you're just going to have a fun ride and you're going to learn a lot more than you thought you'd learn. Like I said, I was a deep water rope engineer. I have cleaned fish tanks. I have done a bunch of random stuff. And I really confidently believe that all that has been both interesting and additive to where I'm, where I'm at. I think last but not least, and the last piece of old man wisdom, um, pursue what's interesting. Um, move on when it's not interesting. Remember, remember your job at the moment is not your career and have fun. And if you don't like what you're doing, you can be in choice to change it. But I guarantee you, if you think back about this job you've hated for two years, you're going to have that, that inventory of skills from doing the work in that job. And it's okay to move on. Um, you might 
get to that point where you're finally a PLM after all these years of pursuing it and you don't like it, that's okay. Like don't, don't buckle down. Don't lean in. I think ask what you like um, and, and pursue what's interesting. Okay. To tie a bow around it and to answer the original question, how to stand out as a PLM. I think on the left, I have sort of some recommendations there. You know, focus on the fundamentals, the five Ps and know your customer. At the end of the day, if the customer is not going to buy the product that's designed, developed, built, supply chained, sold in, marketed, the consumer is not going to buy it. It doesn't matter. The whole thing grinds to a halt. You have to be the expert in the customer. Second is learn it from the bottom. Gain those functional skills. I'll talk about that in specific jobs on the side. Learn it from the bottom. You're going to know it better than anybody. Third, understand each partner's contribution. You're going to be working with um, designers, developers, I think most directly. You're also going to be working with the finance team and the supply chain team to figure out if you can afford to build this product and still hit the price point you're trying to hit. You need to understand how each partner fits into the puzzle. And it actually is really beneficial to work in some of their departments before coming into the job as a PLM. Demonstrate your leadership capacity. I've beat that one to death, so I'm not going to say more on that. Same with operate with empathy and partnership. Um, I've just found that um, being a person that people like to be around is, is probably the most powerful thing. And um, as my dad told me when I was a teenager, um, being nice never costs you anything. So um, I think that's been foundational to, to my life. Um, and last, lastly, like, I hope you see this in me. Um, I'm a great presenter. I have great communication skills. Wasn't always the case. That was um, the result of a lot of really intentional practice and then a lot of both, both coursework practice and then practical on-the-job experience practice, um, but a lot of intention behind learning how to present and communicate. As a PLM, you are always going to be defending a point of view and a position. Um, sometimes you're going to be wrong, and that's okay. You can maintain flexibility and, and learn from those around you and actually strengthen your position. But being able to communicate and present why you think what you think, why you want to do what you want to do, and how you came to that, that um, realization is critical. I think um, being a strong presenter next to being a strong leader is, is probably the second most important thing as a PLM. Some specific jobs that I've seen people um, come into the PLM role from. The most obvious one, honestly, is look for a product line coordinator role um, and other coordination roles. Um, they're very logistical. You saw that alphabet soup at the beginning. Um, product line coordinators, if a company is big enough to have them, and when I was at BF Corporation with Smartwool, the North Face, they have this role as an example. You just learn the nuts and bolts of, of product line management, and it's a really powerful place to start. I actually have a really good friend who spent five years as a product line coordinator. She was just promoted to a, a product line manager, and she's just loving life. Um, don't be afraid of spending time on the retail sales floor. I know people are like, I went to college to not have to work retail. It, I, I'm now in a role where I spend at least one day a month on the sales floor selling at an Arcteric store. Like, it's where the transaction happens. It's where you understand that consumer deeply. Um, retail sales management and retail sales just selling, it's, it's super powerful. Um, same kind of with sale, sales repping and tech repping. You learn, again, that value proposition, how to pitch the value proposition. What, what are people actually willing to pay for? And then what are the technical aspects of the, of the, of the products you're selling that resonate? A tech rep is going to know that really deeply. I know a really good former tech rep who's now a PLM, and um, that was sort of his path into it. I was a sales rep, obviously. I've done a lot of the things on this list. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time in operations, but I think it's a great place to look for a coordinator role um, in planning, allocation, supply chain, et cetera. Um, analyst roles are really great because a PLM inherently has to do a ton of analysis. You have to understand competitors, the marketplace, your own product's performance, being able to like look at a big set of data and make sense of it 
is super powerful. And if you're going to be the expert and you have done the work in Excel or wherever to, to come with a point of view that's data backed, nobody's going to argue with you. Your finance team, they know numbers better than anybody. And I've seen some really successful people come out of finance and go into a bunch of different departments. I might actually argue that finance is a ring of the stool as well, but that's for a different, that's for a different day. Marketing, that one is important because you need to be able to know how to um, pitch the price, vo- price value proposition for a product and what the consumer is expecting to hear. Um, if you can get into marketing and then get into product marketing, it might take you into the PLM world. Um, I haven't seen a ton of, of marketers go into PLMs. I've seen it kind of the other way around. Um, I'm not a great marketer, but marketers love marketing. And I think once you're in that, um, in that world, you've probably found your calling. You might not leave. And then obviously, I think this is probably the most obvious to all of you, um, design and development roles. Um, PLM, when I was a PLM at Smartwool, my design and development partners were my number one and number two partners um, on the day-to-day. And then obviously, everybody else in that, that stool was important next. Okay, I hope that answered the initial question. I hope I didn't indulge myself too much being a middle-aged dude telling you how it is in the world, Um, but that's all I had. And I'm happy to just sort of go off presentation mode and and chat with you all. How did you discover your superpowers? Kind of the self-leadership, a combination of things. So I think self-leadership and and being um, really honest with myself, like if I had a really good day at work, uh, why did I feel so powerful or why did I feel so successful? Um, if I felt like I just couldn't fall asleep because I, I regretted something I did or said, um, what was behind that? What, what did I do that was, that was maybe coming from a place of not my superpower? Um, I think as you do that work, having really strong mentors and coaches and people who know you really well, it can be friends, it can be parents, it can be a boss, it can be a peer, um, where you can actively seek, and this is a key point, actively seek feedback on how you're showing up as a partner. Um, that's really helpful. And then there's, you know, if you do enter into the corporate world, and I think if you're going to be a PLM, you're going to be in the corporate world. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have access to, depending on the company, things like strength finders, or um, there's, there's a ton of different, you know, Myers-Briggs-based assessments, things that are sort of frameworked out and they're a little bit cheesy, but honestly, I think I always think of them like a buffet. Um, you go back for seconds on the ones that you like, and you don't go back for the stuff you don't like, you leave it on your plate. I thought strength finders really resonated. It spoke to me about who I am. And when I really reflected on when I was successful, um, it, it aligned for me. But I think self, self-leadership, reflecting on your day, thinking about why, why did I feel so good today? Why did I feel so bad today? And mentorship are the, are the two most important ones. Um, I have a question. Uh, you talked about like that leadership and accountability and uh, just searching for your mentors and stuff like that a lot. I feel a lot of us just get like, so like zoned in on our projects. We always forget to ask for that critique or do that reach out. Um, do you have something in your day to day that like makes you accountable to like reach out um, for that feedback? Yeah, I, 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 I Nash, I fall into the, 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 I assume it's Nash just based on the zoom name there. So forgive me. Um, I fall into that same trap, right? I think sometimes we're so zoned in and just moving. It's, it, that's, that's why I included that self-leadership as like a real intention. You have to do it. Um, so for me, you know, I have two things I, I ask of now, now that I'm in a leadership role, like, like an official, I I'm accountable for a team. Um, and I really view that as like, what can I do for my team? Right? Like I have to tell them, um, I really, I really value feedback on the fly. I ask actively for them to give me feedback on the fly. If I frustrated them, or if I haven't given them what they need, I ask them to, to just stop me and say, Hey, can you please just tell me, can you, can you please just do this differently? Um, 
that requires a good level of trust. And it's often hard, I think, for a report to, to tell that to a, a boss or even a peer, if your, your peer is like, but if you just show that you really will take action on that feedback, it becomes this, again, self-fulfilling cycle where people are really comfortable being like, man, Nash, like he frustrated me today. I'm going to, I'm going to tell him. And then when Nash changes his behavior, everybody's like, man, Nash is like, he's the partner I want. Um, so I think feedback on the fly is one. And the second, you're going to have a direct boss. You can just ask him straight up. Um, I've had good bosses and bad bosses. It's not easy with bad bosses. With good bosses, though, they'll stop and listen and say, hey, like you are crushing it at this. Looking forward, you could do a little bit better at this. How can I help? Can I help you get resources to get stronger at this specific skill? Um, do you want to do some role playing to kind of play through a tricky people pers- uh, a people situation you might be in? Like this week, for instance, I had a teammate or a, a, a woman on my team who was really frustrated and very fairly so with one of her her counterparts, another another guy on my team. And she came to me first. Um, she knows that like for she's she's a powerhouse in in every respect. She's actually more or less in like an elevated PLM role. Um, she knows for her she's got a ton of strengths. One of her her weaknesses is like. She can, her emotions just show if she's frustrated, she has a hard time cooling off. And so one very specific tactic we've talked about is like, Hey, come to me first, blow off some steam. I'm going to hear it without, without value judgment. We'll set that aside. And then we'll talk about tactical ways that you could approach resolving the situation with your peer. And that's exactly what we did. So, you know, we built that foundation of trust where she can come to me and, and that's a specific thing that she wants to work on. And we, we've, we've um, used it to build a foundation of technical, tactical ways that she can approach that. I hope that that's long-winded, but I hope that answers it. Yeah, thanks so much. That was awesome. I have a question for you. Um, you talked a lot uh, in the beginning about how much you loved your uh, product line uh, management role. Could you go into a little bit more detail about what it was that you loved about that? If it was like working with people or, you know, what really made that passionate for you? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, I actually feel emotional when you, when you ask that because I, I, the job was just so fun and I got to do it at a really fun place with a really fun team. Um, my job now is like much more elevated, but it's harder. It's way harder. Um, I couldn't be in the job now if I wasn't a PLM. So I just, I value that experience so much. Um, but the job itself is just fun. It's incredibly dynamic. Uh, you have to be good at everything. You have to understand everything. You don't have to be great at many things. You do have to be a great leader. You do have to have a point of view and you have to have, you have to have done the work. Again, like, because you're going to be challenging your designers, you're going to be saying designer, like we can't, we can't put that pocket there. We can't, it's going to cost too much. We got to find a different solution. And you're negotiating these things. You're doing it in partnership, but you have to be the expert and have to know exactly what you're trying to accomplish. Um, But you have to have partners in finance. You have to have partners in that whole stool. So you just get to, you get exposure to everything. And just like any role can kind of bring strength into the PLM role. It can also go into any role. You know, if you're doing it well, you just have so many, so many different things you, you get to touch on and learn and be in partnership. And I love just, I love working with people. It's just fun. Um, not everybody, like we've all had people that are bosses, peers, or, or reports where you're like, I just can't. And, you know, part of being a professional is bringing the most out of those people, even when they frustrate you. But when you find, when you find your people, like when I said, know your people, when you find your people, it's just so fun. Um, and last but not least, I love presenting. If you guys can't tell, like it's something I've, I've had to learn. I wasn't always good at it. But when you have a point of view and you've done the work and you've got everybody lined up, your designers, your developers, everybody believes in what you're doing. And then you get to sell that to a sales rep or to a, a buyer or to a, um, you know, directly to the, the customer. 
it's just empowering. You're like, everybody wants to buy this thing. I've created something. I've, I've worked, you haven't alone. I've worked with a team to bring this thing into the world that the world wants. And I still get excited. I see, I saw someone the other day up in, um, up in Taylor Canyon in, in, in Ogden wearing a, a shirt at SmartWool that I had a hand in helping bring to market. And I was like, in the wild, you know, that's, that's stuff that I, um, I had a hand in. So you get to see your fingerprint on the world. Um, and if you're a successful POM, because you have to just keep all the cats herded, you really end up seeing your fingerprint on the company too. You really shift the culture of the company and it's, it's just fun. So um, I, I highly, I just can't say enough. Like if you, if you think you might want to be a PLM, it's definitely worth exploring. And I guarantee you, it won't be the first job you have. You're going to have to do some work to get there, but um, it's worth it. Hey, Robert, I have a question as well. So you've talked a lot about like doing the work. Um, what, to you, what does that look like? Is that like, what do you use to do your research? Are you doing research or you just have like a really good team that you are, you know, pulling from other people's strengths and you're, you know, using what they know? Like, what does that process look like when you're talking about like doing that work? I guess I'll, I'll speak kind of like 10,000 feet and then I'll speak specific to a PLM. 10,000 feet is just like getting into the details for any job you're in. And I said sort of like, because a PLM is typically not like a first job out of college, it's, it's a role that you need some experience to come into. Um, whatever, like if you're going to be a sales rep and with, with your, if you're tacking, right? If you're tacking to that point and you're going to be a sales rep or a designer or uh, a tech rep or an engineer or, you know, a fi financial analyst, just do the work. Like no one else is going to do it. You just have to be really good at the job you're in at the moment. And even if, and this is kind of like where I said, your job isn't your career. You're going to have moments in time where you hate your job, but you still derive a lot of value from it and just lean in. Like, even if you don't, it's not, doesn't soothe your soul. It's not what you love. Lean in and like pull as much out of it as you can and keep that inventory of skills. And like, if you just do a really good job in your job. It leads to more success. Like success is a snowball that gathers momentum. So um, when I say it big picture, I just mean, do the work. Like, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and don't be afraid to do something that isn't where you are going to be, but it's where you're at right now. Um, and that's, that's like the old man wisdom that I feel like, oh God, I'd be cringing if I was 22 or 24, or even 30 in here in this, but um, it matters. It really matters. Also, it's infectious. People just like to work. Other people around you work hard if they see you doing work. And like, I still will get my hands dirty um, every day, like probably to a fault sometimes. So that's high level. For a PLM, you know, the foundational stuff for a PLM is those five Ps. If your product isn't priced properly, if it doesn't make it to market in time, if the marketing that supports it isn't there, if the supply chain, which is like, that's a big problem we're navigating right now at Arcteryx, our supply chain is really hurting from COVID. I'm sure you guys have heard that about pretty much everything, but the supply chain isn't working. If the financials don't add up, you can't, I've seen teams bring product to market that they're losing money on. You're actually paying the consumer to buy it. Like if those things don't all come together, it doesn't work. So for a PLM, you just have to do the work to understand the foundations underpinning each of those five Ps and make sure they're all buttoned up. You might not be the person responsible for the work, but you're the person accountable for the outcome. So, you know, you might have to work with your designer again to like, in your developer be like, Hey, you have to find a way to pull 50 cents out of that pocket because we have to hit this price point or because I know I've done the work. I know the competition. I know what the consumer is willing to spend. And they might push back on you and say, if I take this pocket off, it's no longer the same jacket. And it does, it's meet, they might say it's meaningless to the customer. There are going to be times you have to navigate that tension. If you're both doing the work, you'll eventually get there together. Or your boss might say, hey, you know, 
Zach Allen's right here. You're wrong. Sorry. And you move forward. And I've had plenty of examples where my designer or my developer was 100% right. And I was afraid to take a risk and I'm glad I did, but it took the trust and sort of foundational, again, doing the work in that case was having a good partnership with them. Does that answer it, Zach? Yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, I probably have a couple more questions about research, but I'll give someone else the turn. Okay. It's, uh, just to touch on that, like there are really, like research can be in the market. Um, so just go in and shop the marketplace and see what's out there. Research can be looking at an, uh, a competitor's website. Like I worked in, a, I've worked in apparel for the last you know fifteen years or so. So it's looking at our competitive set, and I might spend time on the North Face website or Canada Goose or Patagonia or um, it's just just see how they're talking about their product, how they're pricing it, what value proposition it has, what feature set. Um, it can also be time with consumers. We had a really fun trip at Smartwell one time. We actually met with um, a hiking club. We called up a hiking club. We're like, hey, do you want to go hiking with some Smartwell people in, in Yosemite? Like, random, but sure, why not? We went for a hike with four random people and from the, the NorCal area. We flew to, flew to San Francisco, went for a giant hike up to um, Nevada, uh, Nevada Falls in Yosemite and just talked to them about product the whole time. Like, saw how they were in the world. They're, they're the customers we're seeking. So like, we just wanted to live it in their shoes. And then there are like professional resources, like NPD is a, is a resource where they can research. Um, a lot of companies have subscriptions to that. So that's a great technical nuts and bolts question. Sorry, I didn't answer it more specifically first. Robert, how much do you use WGSN? I know NPD is a, the gold standard, but do you use WGSN at all? I haven't as much. Um, in my old, in my, the job I had previous to the one I have now, our design team used it a lot. And so they often, when they were doing the work for themselves, um, that was a reference point for them. And, you know, um, so for sure it's an, it's a, it's a resource. Okay. Cause that's, that's something we have available for free on campus through the library. So I would live in that if you can and just yeah. read the reports and get familiar with that tool. It's a chase. I think you, you bring up a great point indirectly, which is, it's all information and it's all important and it's the PLM's job to make sense of it, but know your customer, know the competition, know what's like, what trend is, where the world's going, um, have your own point of view that's based on experience, but you have to bring it all together and you just have to kind of like think like, what's the point of view I have here? Um, and then, and then pitch it to the world. Robert, one thing I really appreciate you mentioning is the importance of building relationships and starting this new career. One thing that I've found is that pretty much every opportunity I've had from finding out about the program to the jobs I've had, the new the jobs I've had in this new career has all come from relationships that I've, as a result of relationships I've had with various people, five, you know, upwards of five, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, resulting in these new opportunities. And so I'm curious about, like in your career, how much of your opportunities have come from building relationships or have you like applied for jobs that you see posted online and get interviews and advance in your career that way? Uh, probably 50-50, Mark. Um, my first job out of school, um, I had three job offers leaving school, but I applied to 75 um, again, do, do the work. I got three job offers, two were cold calls where I just, you know, as a result of the 75 and one was through the recruiting center at my school where they had, uh, just an ongoing relationship with a bunch of different employers. And, you know, they, they would, the employer would come through on a recruiting tour and kind of like scoop up talent. And, um, 
So that's actually how I got my first job was through the recruiting center. But I'm proud to say I got two just completely cold calling. One, by the way, was as an industrial designer. And I'm really glad I didn't take that job because I would have sucked and I would have flamed out. Um, so, um, but yeah, beyond that, like once I was at, at Gore, I had two or three internal opportunities that were the direct results of, of relationships um, and just pursuing interesting things. You know, sometimes you just start doing work with your spare time to help others and it actually results in a job. And I can't stress the importance of just like staying busy and like seeking to help others around you. Like it opens a ton of doors, um, especially if it's interesting. You saw that square just said, pursue what's interesting. Do some stuff that just feels fun. Like find time at work to take more on. Um, not stuff you're being asked to, but stuff that looks fun. That's a critical part in everything we've talked about. But it also just all of a sudden people are like, oh, I know Mark, he's just like a go-getter. Like I, I want to do more with that guy. Um, but beyond that, my job at Smartwool, I cold applied for that. It actually took six or eight months um, to get that job. I got a promotion while there. That was a result of hard work and, and just grinding. Um, and grind, when I say grinding, I, I don't mean that negatively. Um, and then actually my job at Arcteryx, I got recruited by the guy that hired me at Smartwool. He left Smartwool halfway through my tenure. And, um, you know, he, he knew the skill set I had and, and um, saw a good fit for me at Arcteryx and, and kind of hunted me down. So, so 50-50. Cool. Thanks. Maybe time for one more quick one. There's another question. I'll just ask a question. This is my first time doing something like this. And maybe just a, a show of thumbs ups or, and, and like I said, feedback on the fly. If it didn't resonate, thumbs middle or thumbs down. Like, did this help? Awesome. A lot of thumbs ups. That's validating. Thank you. Ooh, virtual thumbs up. Like it. Are you a Red Sox fan, being from Maine? <laughs> I am a I am a Boston sports fan. Um, except for um, except for basketball, I, I would say I'm a Jazz fan because I live in Utah. And I'm, how can you not be a Jazz fan? So right on. No, I figured that out. Well, Robert, this has been fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to share your insights, and thank you everyone who's here. Great questions. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.